Traditionally, Ash Wednesday and Lent have done three things for the life of the church. In the ancient church, it was preparation for baptism, when new Christians would die to themselves in the waters and rise again to new life in Christ. And Lent was a preparation for this death. It meant turning away from the patterns and choices of their old lives for something new. This meant shopping differently in the market, where meat and wine were sacrificed to idols. It meant treating your slaves and your servants differently as brothers and sisters, perhaps even setting them free. It definitely meant providing for each other in community so that the lower classes didn't starve while the wealthy took advantage of them. And Lent was this time of giving up and letting go of all of the sins of their past lives to be ready for the new life of the resurrection. Over time, this 40-day period of preparation was expanded to include the whole church as a season of repentance for the sins which still had hold in their lives. The practice of abstaining from meat, yeast, and wine were training in saying no to something. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, but it is also a discipline. Only by practicing it do we become stronger. So Lent provided a time of training which would allow the sins in our lives to be removed. The third lesson of Ash Wednesday is a reminder of our mortality, is a recognition that sins brings death, and the consequences of the fall is our mortality. It is a reminder and sign to us that we need God's new creation and new life to bring us into the power of the resurrection is a reminder that our lives are not really in our hands. It is this lesson that has been displayed before our eyes for the last three months. When nature shows up at your doorstep in all of its power and glory, humanity is basically powerless to stop it. We can hope that the winds will stop and the fire will die down, but we can do nothing to stop the winds from blowing. We can appreciate the beauty of water, but when it comes in torrents, Nothing stands firm in its path. Our lives are fragile, and death comes easily to our doors, as we have seen. In the middle of the trauma, disaster, and loss, as I thought about tonight, I thought, we don't need another reminder of our mortality. We're getting tired of staring our mortality in the face. Yet, the reality is that we do need this reminder. Most of us live our lives like we are safe and in charge of what happens. We plan out our days with the unspoken and often unnoticed assumption that we will be safe and content and have as long as we want to do what we plan. This is the blessing and the curse of living in a relatively safe society. Instead of assuming that our children will die in infancy or childhood, that wild animals will threaten our lives, and that the weather will destroy our food supply, we assume that we will have all of our needs met on any given day. And when those things are not true, we assume that they should be, for everyone at all times. Dr. Kate Bowler teaches church history at Duke Divinity School. Two years ago, she was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And she talks about the irony of this diagnosis because she is a scholar who studies the prosperity gospel. In an interview with Faith, Faith and Leadership, Kate says that the prosperity gospel is mostly about answering our most basic desires. 
and that when she got sick, she noticed the kind of double blessing and burden that the prosperity gospel brings. The blessing is that it constantly offers you a sense of agency. When things are so terrible, you just want that little bit of traction to feel like this day is not entirely defined by a drug that I can't control, by a doctor I think I hate, by all the factors that you have no control over. But Kate says that most of us have our own version of the prosperity gospel embedded in our beliefs that we don't even recognize. As she talks about her new book, she says, But I think the most pressing part I noticed, that the second I got sick, I was flooded with the same kinds of questions and hopes that I had been watching other prosperity believers have for the last 10 years. I just thought, wow, what a basic human quality to want a guarantee, to want God to reach down and make a little exception just for you. Maybe I've had my own prosperity gospel all along. So I started writing it less like a traditional book and more like a theological excavation. I had a writing process where I would write until I found the hardest, truest thing. It usually got down to something that I sort of hated about my own beliefs, like, oh my gosh, I'm bargaining, or, oh man, I guess I really did expect God to always promise me a long life and happiness. This is often our reality in the modern world that we're guaranteed a long life and happiness. But it's not the assumption of scripture. It's not the gospel. The Bible is full of stories of people who suffered greatly, sometimes because of their own actions, true, but often just because they live in a fallen world, just like we do. Think of the variety of the laws in the Old Testament that assume that life will not go well. When people lack money to provide for themselves, there are provisions for them to provide food for themselves and their families by gleaning in the fields and instructions for the owners to not go back through them again. There are instructions for what to do if people lack the funds to such an extent they have to sell themselves into slavery and the provisions for their release. When a husband dies and leaves no children, the law provides a system for the woman to be remarried and the family land and livelihood to stay in the family so that she's taken care of. The law assumes that life will be hard, that we won't always be safe with long life and happiness. The reality of our world is death, not life, and we've seen this vividly in the last couple of months. These disasters remind us of the same thing that Ash Wednesday reminds us every year. We are dust, And the world is a fallen place, full of brokenness, death, disease, and disasters. And we and all of creation are in desperate need of redemption. Romans 8, 18 through 23 tells us, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
grown inwardly while we wait for for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We long for redemption. We long for the day when death, disease, sin, and evil will be truly destroyed, when they will be rid from existence. And we're given a foretaste of that day here in the church. It's provided to us in the Old Testament when God steps in to give children to the barren women, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah. It's provided through Elijah when God raises Zarephath's widow, the widow's son from the dead. And through Elisha, when God does the same thing for the Shunammite couple whose son has also died. In story after story after story, we're reminded of the redemption of God breaking into our broken world. This story continues in the New Testament when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, when God raises the boy who fell out the window through Paul. Time and time again, Jesus heals those he encounters on his journeys. The man born blind, the man at the pool of Siloam, the bleeding woman who touched his cloak, the centurion's son, and on and on it goes. God does the same thing through Peter for the beggar at the beautiful gate at the temple. He does it for others in Acts as well. And then Jesus rises from the dead after his crucifixion as the first sign that the kingdom of God is taking over the world. These events are not the normal pattern of a fallen world. If the world was already redeemed, none of those people would have needed to be healed. None of them would have needed to be granted life again. So these are glimpses that God is giving us of his work in the world, of his redemption, that he is bringing life back into a world that is full of death. Life is a gift. It is the mercy of God that we breathe our first breath and that we continue to breathe each day. And it is God who breathed life into the dust of the earth when he created humanity. Without this life, We would only be like a clay statue or a wood carving, lifeless. And God's gift of life means that we are completely dependent upon him. We are longing for the full redemption of the world and our bodies. So Ash Wednesday is our annual reminder of that dependence. It is our opportunity to come forward in full surrender to God, recognizing that our lives are not our own, that our lives are not guaranteed, and that we long for the full hope of the resurrection. As you come forward this year to receive the ashes, come in full surrender of your life, of all that you hold close, possessions, friends, family, careers, stability, control, hopes, and anything else. As you surrender those things at the altar, walk through the next 40 days of Lent full of that surrender so that you might be really ready to receive the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration, there should be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation During this season, converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when persons who had committed serious sins and had separated themselves from the community of faith were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to participation in the life of the church. 
In this way, the whole congregation was reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need that we all have to renew our faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word to make a right beginning of repentance and as a mark of our mortal nature. Let us bow our heads before our creator and redeemer. <clears throat> 